0: And, and, and when we think about our, our best coaches and our best leaders, you know, we don't think about what they told us. You know, we think about how they made us feel. Hey
1: folks, welcome back. This is Mark Devine with the Unbeatable Mind Podcast. Thanks for joining me again today. As you know, don't take it lightly, you've got a lot going on. So let's get into this. Uh, my, auth- um, my author... My guest today is Daniel Coyle, who is an author of some outstanding, outstanding works. But before I introduce him in more detail, let me remind you that our Unbeatable Minds Summit is coming up, and my team wanted me to offer a special you know, promotional deal to anyone who listens to this podcast. Um, some of you have been to the summit before. This is the fifth year, and dare I say, I think it's the last time we're going to run it. So if you've been thinking about coming to the Unbeatable Mind Summit, which is held once a year in December, first week in December, then this might be your last chance. I won't get into the reasons why we're actually converting all that energy into a different type of event, but it's an extraordinary event. We have some great speakers. We do some amazing training, Kokoro Yoga, uh, obviously a ton of physical training, but it's really not about that. It's about Really deepening your integration, um, coming together with a community of peers who are really, you know, passionate about developing themselves and serving the world more powerfully, and connecting with the Unbeatable Mind coaches so that you can get some, you know, insight from them in your boat crew, and then you know, meeting people to train with throughout the year and to design next year, two thousand nineteen, to be you know an incredible year, best ever. At any rate, so if you're interested. And you've been thinking about it. If you want to enroll, then go to summit.unbillmind.com or just unbillmind.com and click on the summit image. And use the code POD300 at checkout, and it'll save you $300. POD300. And second thing is I'm going to drumbeat all year long on the Courage Foundation's Burpees for Vets Challenge. We challenge the world to do 22 million burpees with us to raise money and awareness for vets who are suffering from PTS and uh, 22 a day committing suicide, which breaks my heart. And we're trying to, you know, suffer for them and raise money and awareness so that we can help as many as we can with those funds by teaching them integration, connecting them with a boat crew and a bigger purpose again, or a new purpose, new mission, and then providing them 18 months of coaching support to hold their hand through their darkest moments. So Burpees for Vets, um, we have our own website. It's called burpeesforvets.com. So check it out there. You can pledge money from me. I'm doing 100,000 burpees this year or uh, create your own team. Collectively, we've already done 10 million burpees and raised $180,000. That's pretty cool. So our goal is 22 million. So help us out. I can't do it alone. I already cranked out my 300 this morning. I haven't missed a day since January 1st. So I'm up close to 70,000 and loving it. All right. Enough on the public service announcements. So Dan, I'm, I'm super stoked. I mean, I read the talent code a few years ago and I really was inspired. Daniel Coyle is the author. It's a New York times bestseller. And he really digs into what, you know, what are the, the fundamentals behind what causes talent to exist in an individ- individual. And we're going to talk about that as well as, um, he's the author of the culture code which is really about like team talent. Like how does a team become great? And what, what I love about culture Co is he also tracks uh, dev group seal team six as one of his, you know, kind of case studies. Daniel lives in uh, Cleveland, Ohio during the school year. We were just talking about his summer home is in Homer, Alaska. I spent some time up in Alaska at Kodiak and his son uh, works at Kodiak as an environmentalist. What a Beautiful, beautiful place, Alaska. So summers in Alaska. Then he's back in Cleveland, where, when he's not writing, he's advising the Cleveland Indians.
0: I think that's a baseball team, right, Daniel? <laughs> that is correct. That is correct. There's some <laughs> other sports teams connected with Cleveland that aren't doing so well, but the Indians are. So <laughs> the Indians that's don't. they're they're uh, they're not unbeatable, but they're uh, but they're good.
1: Well, that's good. Well, they're going to be unbeatable with a, another year or two of your help, I'm
0: sure. That's right. I'm sure.
1: So thanks for joining us today, man. Super nice to meet you. Same um, here. I love I love your books. Great work. So thanks for the contribution and all that.
0: Hey, thank you, Mark. I really appreciate it.
1: You know, before we get kind of into like, you know, in this book, you said this concept, what do you mean by that? Let's talk about Daniel. Like, who are you? Where'd you you know, you grew up around Cleveland or you grew up in Alaska. You said, what was that like? What were your formative years? Like, how did you become interested in writing? You know, bring us up to date, like, and give us a sense of your character.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, that's pretty good. When you're anybody raised in Alaska sees things from a slightly different angle and that's always been kind of an advantage. I think moving through life, I, you know, was born there, had a uh, born close to there, actually we moved when I was really small. And, um, Couple brothers always really wanted to compete with them, uh, and uh, tried to sort of make it as an athlete, didn't, and decided instead to go in to figure out what you know, kind of got fascinated by performance. Like, if I can't be it, I want to understand it. Mm-hmm. And so, studied a little pre med in, in English together in college, and then went into journalism, kind of with this focus on. You know, what makes greatness? What's underneath there? Um, you know, if you, if it's not magic. It looks like magic, but there's always something. There's a process, and maybe that process is emotional. Maybe that process is muscular. Maybe that process is neural. Maybe that process is is, uh, social, but, um, really fascinated by that stuff. So that that's kind of got me into this line of work of, of, I have a really weird job. You know, basically I travel <laughs> around the world and, and meet people that are amazing at stuff and people in groups and try to figure out what the hell's going on. You know, what, what's underneath there. Let's x-ray it. Let's see it. Let's measure it. Let's, let's, uh, let's see what's underneath the magic. So that, that part has that's been really amazing. fun. And then, then bringing in the, you know, Working with the Indians has been a, a total delight. It brings this stuff, you know. As a journalist, you're by yourself a lot, and um, as a writer, you're by yourself a lot. And this is a way to be part of a team that's achieving at a really high level and 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 adding up to more than the sum of their parts. So, um, so yeah, it's been it's been fun.
1: That's really interesting overlap there with the Indians, because you know, as a journalist, you, know, you you study performance and you write about performance, but that doesn't necessarily mean that most people can translate that into coaching or, you know, helping a team actually change their performance.
0: Yep. So yep.
1: How, how did you find that transition?
0: You know, he, you know, it kind of happened by accident. The, the, their coaches read some of the stuff in the talent code and they liked it and they started using it. And so it, it was really, um, You know, and I was, I was right here in town. And so we started building on that, you know, every domain and baseball is like anything else. It's like business, you know, there's all these habits that you get into and there's all these default ways of doing things. And in baseball, that means right before a game, we have batting practice and we have somebody who's in their fifties, throw balls at 60 miles an hour and everybody hits them into the seats. And it's just what they've done for a long time. And it, it, and so when somebody comes up from another domain and say, Hey, that looks pretty cool, but are you actually getting better? Does that make you better um, it It causes a conversation to happen, and so uh, to sort of you know the fun part of writing these books is that they're a platform for people from the military, from business from arts, from sports from from everywhere to kind of connect and have a and have a way to talk about skill uh, and so that really opened you know it, that, that was the fun part to say, okay, wait a minute, we can learn something from." you know, how music is practiced. We can learn something from how the military goes about practicing. We can learn and and apply those things in real time with real people, with real stakes. Um, And so there's been some misfires, some stuff we haven't gotten right. There's been some stuff we've gotten right. Um, And so it's been really cool to see it. You know, it it takes you out of the ivory tower and puts you down into the gravel and the dirt and and you get to test this stuff and see what really works. And it's certainly been a learning experience for me. Yeah,
1: I bet you it has. How cool to be able to apply what you've learned. I've done some work with with um some NFL teams and we're working with a, a pro hockey team and uh what I've noticed, which you certainly articulate well in your book The Talent Code is that, you know, it really doesn't matter what you do, it's it's how you do it, right? So, you know, elite sports, elite warriors, you know, elite mu- musicians, there's so much similarity in what distinguishes you know,
0: an elite team or a top performing individual, you know, across those domains. Oh, it's so fun, isn't it? I mean, the conversations you can have at that, at that level. Um, I remember the first time I coached was, uh, talked to a bunch of coaches, they were Olympic coaches, but there was a clarinet professor who wanted to sit in the room. And then the clarinet professor started talking to Michael Phelps's coach about drills. And it's like, they Hmm. are not quite speaking the same language, but they're they're talking about the same process. And it was just that, that, that's the moment where it's like, wait a minute, this is really fun.
1: Yeah. Well, let's get into uh, talent code. Now, Who, what type of organizations did you interview and look at for that? And give us kind of the premise behind talent code, you know, at, the, at a highest level. And then let's get into some of the principles.
0: Everybody knows that there are certain places on this planet where you have these weird blooms of talent, right? Like if you're a shortstop, a lot of them come from this town in the Dominican Republic. Um, mm-hmm and if you're a chess player a lot of them come from this place in bulgaria and if you're if you're a tennis player a lot of them come from this this small club uh, in in russia called spartak and so i mean that exists in all domains and so the idea was or you have certain schools that produce unbelievable students these hotbeds and so the idea was let's go into those hotbeds and see what they're having in common and then you overlay that you map onto that what we have learned lately about neuroplasticity and how the brain responds to intensive, certain types of intensive practice. Um, And so, that book was an exploration of those two ideas. And basically, the idea is like, hey, all these places are doing the same thing. And it's not that complicated. It's hard to do. It's hard to practice in a way, you know, I call it in the book, I call it deep practice where you're constantly making mistakes and constantly failing and constantly operating the edge of your ability. But that is this incredibly productive way because it actually builds a specific kind of substance in your brain that makes it work faster and better.
1: Right. Those places, you know, those those performance, you know, blue zones, so to speak. Yeah. Was it was it one coach who just started to do something a certain way and then he created, you know, some winners and, and who came back and then started coaching that way? I imagine you could trace it back to an, one individual who, who just – had some insights or some success and all of a sudden it
0: so cool. That's exactly right. And, and the, the leverage, the power of that individual is often it was somebody that like didn't get the headlines and didn't make millions of dollars, but they were just an extraordinary communicator and someone who had a deep, deep understanding of, of the skill and how to connect to people and how to teach it. And that's the piece. Like I think sometimes we think that being a good teacher is about information And meeting those coaches, you know, they're really master teachers is what they are. Meeting those master teachers makes you realize how important the relational part of that, which is really is the emotional part of that. Um, They're extraordinary leaders because, not because they knew a bunch of stuff, but it's because they knew a bunch of stuff and they had this like emotional athleticism to be able to create a connection with someone on the fly and deliver good information in the moment. It was, it was just like communication athletes. And, and that. that's not magic either. Like, that's a skill that gets developed uh, in certain ways over time. But, but they were the people around which, around which these hotbeds bloomed.
1: Yeah. I love that. So in in the book, you talk about the four virtues of these master coaches who I love you call them talent whisperers, which Mm. you just basically, you know, to, to communicate that word whispering is awesome. We use that too. in our seal fit training, you know, our, our, our coaches, our seal fit coaches have put thousands of seal trainees through, you know, the hardest training in the world. Mm. And, and most people, have this image that, you know, military style training, like the SEALs is going to be like all in your face and rah, 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 you know, and hardcore. And there's certainly moments that are like that. And they're very scripted, not scripted, but structured. And, and, um, but the the vast majority of the training, like 95%, you know, it's, it's whispering, right? It's, it's like, you got to perform. And then all of a sudden, you know, one of the coaches is right there in your ear going, Hey dude, you know, this is what I see happening and, right. you know, this is what I feel coming from you. And this is the expression that you're giving off in your face and your eyes. And you know what? I can tell that your inner dialogue is is just, you know, it's just going south. So what's right. going on right now? And this right. is maybe you could think a little bit like this and, and maybe you could, you know, change your posture and maybe you could, you know, start thinking about why you're here, because if you don't guess what's going to happen, your, your helm is going to be lined up over there with the rest of them. And then right. it's done. And that, that one moment is like an inflection point or every student, every buzz student, every seal has those moments where like one instructor said something that like was the key that unlocked everything else. That's what yes. you mean by talent whisper, isn't it?
0: That's exactly right. I mean, and, and being able to, to, you know, think of the skills that that go into that and think of the power of that yeah. moment. And, and all of us have had moments like that. Might have been with your English teacher, might've been with a soccer coach, but there's that and, and And when we think about our our best coaches and our best leaders, you know we don 't think about what they told us. you know we think about how they made us right. feel and and that's that 's the ability that 's at the core you know of, of both you know great of helping to nurture that great talent but also of creating cultures um whole organizations that are built on that kind of mutual awareness and which really is is so the opposite of top down leadership i mean as you say of like authoritarian leadership as you say you know we all kind of grew up with these authoritative models in mind. Um, but, and they worked for a long time. Like, you know, fear is great. Fear works uh, for a while, but in the world we live now, you know, in, the, in, in whether it's business, whether it's sports, whether it's, you know, developing each other, being in a community, like a top down stuff, it, it doesn't, work, doesn't work in the long run. It doesn't work for complicated problems. It certainly doesn't no, learn in worlds no. where you got to continue to learn and push yourself. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, I like to
1: think of leadership as almost holographic, right? It's, hmm. it's, it's all angles all the time. <laughs> Total immersion. Cool. you know? Yeah. I'm going to trademark that. that holographic leadership. Holographic. Plan. Bring it. Bring it on. I might have to hire you to help me write the book. Justin, <laughs> <from> underwater. <laughs> <laughs> hey folks, Mark here. Listen up. I've got a secret weapon for you to make your working out and training more efficient and to get better results and faster. It's called the Halo Sport, and I love this tool. Simply put, training with a Halo Sport allows you to develop your muscle memory faster. The headset applies electrostimulation to your brain's motor cortex to induce a temporary state of hyperlearning. How cool is that? That means you're going to get better results faster from anything that you do where you need to learn by moving, such as your SilFit WAD, martial arts training, yoga, tai chi, or even running. Now, I interviewed Halo's CEO, Dr. Daniel Chow, a while back, and I was really impressed by his team and this underlying technology, the science of transcranial direct current stimulation, or TDCS, which has over 15 years of scientific and military research behind it. I now personally use Halo Sport for many of my high-intensity wads and when I do my Tai Chi training where I'm trying to learn some new form. When I train my movements with the Halo Sport, I do learn faster and I get more precision and I feel I can perform more aggressively. Halo Sport's already being used extensively in the military special operations communities. And from my SEAL friends, I've heard that they get great results It's also used by many pro athletes, Olympians, and thousands of lifelong athletes just like you and I. So in my mind, Halo Sport is the ideal training tool for those like you who want to exceed your training goals. To learn more about the Halo Sport, go to haloneuro.com. That's H-A-L-O-N-E-U-R-O.com. And you can use the code UNBEATABLEMIND, all one word, UNBEATABLEMIND at checkout to get this awesome product for $475, which is $275 off of the retail price. Again, HaloNeuro.com use the code I'd mind. You won't be disappointed. This is a great tool. All right, let's get back to the show. Hoo ya. So what were that so obviously one of the virtues of the Master Coach is to be able to emote, you know, create an emotional connection to the principle, right? Is that, how would you, how did you articulate that virtue?
0: Exactly. Finding, you know, finding that moment of access, you know, they really were emotional athletes finding that, you know, you can't really give anybody good information until you have, until you have attention and connection. And so they are these athletes of connection and, and they're keen observers of human behavior and that, you know, okay, I'm going to find the right moment to deliver that signal. I'm not just going to come in and and shout it through a, Mm -hmm. through some kind of a a, a megaphone. I'm going to, I'm going to wait, I'm going to watch And I'm going to approach and I'm going to deliver it in a way that it can be maximally effective. And I'm going to be really patient and deliver it over and over and over again in slightly different ways until it gets, until it gets, uh, gets across, you know, and, and a lot of, there's a great phrase that John Wooden said, he said, you haven't taught until they've learned. And a lot of times we think if we say it, we've taught it. And that's not true. You've Mm -hmm. just said it saying is really different than learning. And so really focusing not on you know, focusing both on what someone, on what you're saying, but also focusing on how it's being received and how it's being applied. Mm-hmm. And you got to say it and convey it and show it
1: until the individual feels it and can say it back and then live it right. And do it. Live it. Exactly.
0: Exactly. And not and, just do it once, but do it a bunch of times. Right. Yeah, so,
1: times, yeah. And then yeah. the insight, you know, is theirs. Right. In fact, a lot of, you know, to me, victory is when someone comes back and tells me what I told them thinking it was their insight. Yeah, yep. because th- that then they really own it. That's awesome. So, how what what part does passion play in performance? Um, you talk about primal cues and and unlocking mm. kind of passionate performance, which is really like max energy connected to your why, which is you know how I would describe passion.
0: Yeah, I think I think you know we often kind of think that passion is something that you sort of always have like, Oh, I've always wanted to do this. And and that's not really true. There's, there's a moment. And, um, when you get an opportunity to, and it's a moment that recurs, but it's a moment when you get kind of a glimpse of your future self. Mm -hmm. And you, and, and that is the reason kind of ignition works is that it's sort of something that has to be relit, uh, over and over again because you know when you're trying to get better it's 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 incredibly taxing um, and so it's easy to get into kind of a burnout position but when you do have these talent hotbeds what you find is they've kind of filled the windshield they've kind of created a collective windshield where they're constantly encountering almost like noodles in a boiling pot like bumping into visions of inversions of their future selves and and so when we're, when we're working and trying to get better, there's a temptation to do it by yourself and kind of be uh, the rugged individual um, working alone. But when you get, and I think in your in your events, you you create this sort of thing. When you get surrounded by that vision of your future self, and when you really take time to stare at it. You know, in our, mm-hmm. our world is full of glancing and our, 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 gaze is probably more diverted than any time in, in human history. Mm. It's the human attention has been splintered, but there was a friend, this, I read once somebody said um, to stare is to love. And mm. there's something kind of powerful about that to really try, think about putting yourself in a position where you get the opportunity to really stare at who you want to become and where you want to be in five years and where you want to be in 10 years and really contemplate that and internalize mm-hmm. that um it's very primal uh, which is why i guess i use the term primal cues it's very primal in that you know this is some some ancient wiring that we're using here it's not complicated there's not a lot of words that are attached but just finding an opportunity to really to contemplate target and and really stare at uh, at that person and w- and if you think back into your own life I mean, you know, for those of you who got really into a, a specific sport or a specific uh, line of work or a specific passion with the arts, there's usually a moment uh, where you can trace it to. You know, it's like, "Oh, when I went to that concert and that guitarist was so amazing, it made me want to pick up a guitar." Or, "Oh, when I went to this game and this hero at my high school scored the winning touchdown, then I started to really love football." There's there's a moment there. And so, you can't like force that moment to happen. You can't you know, but what you can do is sort of seed the clouds and, and sort of maximize your interactions around around that that sort of uh, image of your future self.
1: Right. I love that idea of staring at yourself. And this is, uh, you know, near and dear to our heart because um, I agree, you know, we're all super distracted and we have this concept we call winning in the mind before you step foot in the battlefield. And really it points to the fact that we need to as um, individuals all individuals, not just people trying to perform at an elite level, to slow down and sit down or kneel if you will and um, and take that look inward and so when you say stare at yourself we're staring inward right mm-hmm. we're contemplating we're visualizing we're you know we're really kind of studying the interior landscape so that we can rearchitect our vision of who we are and then begin to express that and live that. But that that's a daily practice. You know, you have to do it. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And you know, all learning and progress takes place in a loop and the top of that loop is experience. And the bottom of that loop is reflection. You have an experience and then you reflect on it. If you just have pure experience, you're just going to sort of be like a golden retriever running down the street chasing stuff. But if you take (laughs) a pause, Like that bottom part of the loop, like that reflection, that's a piece. It used to be a bigger part of life. You know, life used to give you more opportunity to reflect, more quiet zones, you know, more, more areas where, where you just were naturally put in a position of reflecting. And part of the, you know, whether it's the phones or the rhythms or the, or whatever of of the way technology has made our life is that we've, that, that reflective piece has been stolen away. And so, um, to actively reclaim that, um, however you can by writing stuff down by, um, you know, keeping notes on your phone, whatever it is that allows you to process that experience and get the most out of it, as opposed to just chasing the next experience.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I, I was just reflecting when I grew up as a kid in upstate New York, just how much time I had, you know, hiking the Adirondack trails, just like you in Alaska. I mean, it was all tons of opportunity to be quiet, to be in nature, to reflect. Yep. And you're right. It's not so much that it was stolen from us. It's more that we kind of abdicated it, right? We just, mm. yeah, <laughs> accepted that this other stuff was the new norm, without insisting that we maintain, you know, that connection with nature and that time and silence. So we have totally. to car- carve it back, you know,
0: actively carve. And you see that with a lot of leaders, like a lot of a lot of people, they really have some. There's some, you know, with the top leaders that I spent time with, you know, especially with the culture code. You saw them actively carving out time where they could um, really make the most of what experiences they'd had and truly reflect on what the right move would be to make next. And so, yeah. um, I think that, I think that
1: they flip their thinking, um, from, oh my God, I don't have time to do this. I can only afford this to this time is actually some of the most important time. This is the generative time and this is yeah. reflective and this is where I win in my mind. And without this, everything I do out there is going to be less, you know, it's going to be suboptimal. It's, it's, right. gonna, it's not going to have the, the energy and the passion and the connection to the, you know, to that drive that we're looking for. Bingo. And so it becomes, um, a necessary component of every day and of every training session, even, you know, with, yeah. with our seal fit training, we sit and breathe before every training, before every cool. workout. We yeah. even do that in our company now where we do a breathing, uh, you know, five minutes of box, we call box breathing before every important meeting. That's incredible. Awesome. It's had some yeah profound effect let's talk about biology for a second still still talking kind of about individual talent but um you use uh, you talk about something that i haven't read a lot about heard a lot about but i know it's been studied it's called myelin
0: so mm, yeah tell yep. us
1: about myelin in this role and in, in performance at a biology. yeah i mean i
0: know your listeners aren't interested in a, having a biology class but i'm going to give them a one minute biology it's only yeah. going to last a minute but this right. is it still so this you know, your brain is a bunch of wires and that's it, right? Your brains are, you know, a lot of wires and those wires are wrapped in this insulation. This insulation is called myelin and it's just like electrical tape. It wraps it just like electrical tape does with the same purpose. Like you want the signal to move from one end to the other. And if it, if you don't insulate it, that, that signal will leak out. So our brain is evolution has given us that insulation. But here's the thing. We thought myelin wasn't interesting. We thought it was inert. It turns out in the last 10 years or so, they've discovered it's not inert. It grows in response to intensive practice. So, right. and when and it grows in the following way when you like repeat and act very intensively, you get more myelin in that circuit. So, when and when you get more myelin, you get more speed. The signal moves faster and you get more accuracy. The signal can be delivered in a more accurate window. So, when you think about skill, when you think about being able to do anything, play the piano, hit a jump shot, you know, we always talk about muscle memory. That 's a misnomer muscles don 't have any memory they, they, they 're dumb. what the, all the intelligence, all the beauty, all the timing, all the skill is located in the wires of your brain, and myelin is a really key component to the process of getting better. so when you practice deeply, when you practice in the right way, on the edge of your ability, making mistakes, repeating it, going back over and over again, you 're actually building that more insulation, more myelin, and you 're earning more accuracy you're earning more speed. And you're earning more skill. So it sort of flips, you know, the idea of skill is always, oh, he was born with that talent. And what myelin does, it says, it, it's our, our it's the process through which um, those hours of practice end up transforming into um, into increased skill. So the more myelin you got, you know, they say, you know, practice makes perfect. And that's not true. Practice makes myelin and myelin makes perfect. <laughs>
1: Is it, um, so we're talking about neuroplasticity here. So the, the, the practice will, you know, kind of create the pathway, the neurological pathway, synaptical pathway, and Mm -hmm. then the repeated practice with intensity then layers the myelin on. And so is it possible, or is it uh, true that if I stop practicing, then the myelin goes away and my performance degrades or... Is it because I'm generating other pathways that then create myelin that are more efficient Then that's where the energy goes?
0: It depends on the, on the complexity of the task. Like mm-hmm. if you look at basically what happens when you stop practicing, the myelin starts to, um, if you don't use that pathway, it sort of delaminates. Right. It, it's it actually, it, it without that signal going through it, it starts to separate almost like a, a piece of plywood does after you get it wet it'll start to separate and it won't work as well, which is why if you want to, you know, if you want to stop a, a pro golfer from winning a tournament, just prevent them from practicing for three weeks, right? right. Or a or, or gymnast, you know, don't let them practice and it'll, it will diminish their performance. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of, you know, an extraordinary um, idea that, um, which is why that, that kind of the, how important the daily habit is um, to continually, you know, push yourself to edge that ability, continue to sort of work those circuits and, uh, and optimize them. Mm.
1: That's super cool. Hey folks, I want to bring your attention to a product developed by a Navy SEAL friend of mine who was a doctor. Uh, first, he was a SEAL, then he became a doctor, and then he went back and worked with the SEALs. His name is Doc Parsley. Some of you might have heard of him by now. We call him the Sleep Doc. All these SEALs were starting to come to him, and, and you know, with these symptoms that looked like adrenal fatigue, and so he started treating adrenal fatigue and he realized that the common denominator with all these guys that they weren't sleeping. It's pretty big problem in military spec ops with the pace of operations and combat and these guys were just all out of whack cortisol was racing their body their hormones were depleted and de- you know they had the essentially the the testosterone level of 13 year old girls is the way he jokes about it they had a big problem and what he found is that they were working out like madmen but they're putting on weight their you know cognitive level was like they were drunk anyways they were they had this perception that they could perform but they just couldn't perform anymore and it was a real problem so he identified that the common denominator was lack of sleep. So even an hour of not enough sleep a night over the course of a year is going to lead to 14 pounds of weight gain and could degrade your performance by up to 30%. It throws your testosterone, your growth hormones, in, in insulin sensitivity all out of whack, and it's going to create emotional uh, instability, decision-making um, challenges, impulse uh, control challenges, and decrease your willpower. Basically, your prefrontal cortex is compromised. So what he did is he, he went around and he, and he and he said, "Go buy this, buy this, buy this," and then you know start taking it, and it worked. And so they said, "Well, this is a pain in the neck to buy all this. Can you can you put it all together into one thing?" And so that became Doc Parsley's sleep remedy. I tried this recently at our Unbeal Mind Summit, and it worked really, really well. I, I kid you not. Like I took it and I fell asleep within 20 minutes, and uh, I didn't have any grogginess when I woke up. I thought it was great stuff, so um, I told him I wanted to uh, let my folks know about it, let you know people who are listening to this podcast know about it, and he offered everyone a 10% off, so if you want to try Doc Parsley's sleep Re- remedy, uh, which is essentially a, it's just a supplement, it's a nutritional supplement, it's all natural stuff, which creates a normal cascade of the physiological things that are supposed to happen when um, you're going to go to sleep. But a lot of us don't have that cascade or don't have that stuff happening anymore because of our lifestyle. So this will kind of stimulate um, proper, you know, preparation for sleep and and the and the sleep cycles. Um, he has a unlimited, no questions asked, money back guarantee. Um, you can't beat that. So go to docparsley.com, d-o-c-p-a-r-s-l-e-y.com, and use the code unbeatablemind, all one word, all all one word, unbeatablemind when you check out to get a 10% off. And, uh, highly recommend it. Who Let's take this, you know, now to culture. So we've talked about performance around, you know, the power of coaches and passion and myelin and, you know, neurobiology, but what, what's the, um, what's the neurobiology of a team? How do we generate cohesion and cooperation? And you studied seal team six or, you know, formerly known as seal team six, what's now known mm-hmm. as development group. Um, mm-hmm. also the San Antonio Spurs and some other top organizations, in terms of how the culture, the culture, the you know the internal we experience of the team. Right.
0: How do we? Yeah, do it's it's.
1: How do we generate cooperation and cohesion? What were some of the huge insights that came out of that study? Yeah,
0: you know, it was cool. when, I, when I when I started. Um, you know, I spent about five years visiting these places, and. It ended up being kind of a kind of a trip back in time uh, to kind mm. of the, the basic, really, really fundamental, this ancient language of behavior mm-hmm. that, that connects groups, that helps them share information and helps them move a certain direction. Every group on the planet, I'm talking whether it is a flock of birds or whether it's a school of fish or whether it's a development group or whether it's um, the San Antonio Spurs. They have to do three basic things. They have to connect with each other. That's number one. They have to be connected and, and stay connected and safely connected. Mm-hmm. Second thing they have to do is they have to share information. They have to share accurate information. If they hide information from each other, they're going to be less effective. Mm-hmm. And the third thing they have to do is move in a certain direction. They have to know where to go. Where are we going? What are we about? Where are we headed? Mm-hmm. So the those three things are really functional, right? That's mm-hmm. structural, functional stuff. And we have this ancient sort of algorithm in our brains that detects are you safe or not? Are you connected? It detects whether or not you're really being vulnerable with someone, mm. whether or not you're opening up and telling the truth, and it detects what direction you're going. Mm. Where what, what are we really all about? Um, and for a visual, just like picture—I mean, picture a school of fish moving through a coral reef. Right. That—that that is great culture. It's a set of linked relationships moving toward a goal. It's that's a SEAL team in action. <laughs> They're solving problems at speed. They're not checking with each other to have a meeting every 10 minutes they're not questioning what their purpose is and they're sharing accurate information with each other so that they can complete to the goal so it's it ends up being this very kind of uh fundamental uh language that you can learn uh and that's the thing you can learn these signals of safety that you get you know culture feels like magic when you're in a great group when you're in a great team when you're in a great organization it feels like magic it is not magic. Mm-hmm. It's a set of three signals you're getting. This language of behavior, language, behavior that says you're safe, we're connected. Behavior that says, I'm sharing information with you and you're sharing it with me. We're being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And behavior that says, here's what matters. This is where our purpose is. So the idea of the book is to if you improve your signaling behaviors, if you improve these three, your ability to sort of send and receive these kinds of signals, you, you build a better culture.
1: That's fascinating as you were describing the fish, I actually had a, a, a memory of a subsurface mission that I did with my seal platoon where we we're all connected with a, we called it a lizard line and we were diving um, at night through the kelp beds and there was all this phosphorescent and the, the other seals, you know, the actual natural seals were zooming around us because they were really curious No way! and creating oh my these God. phosphorescent trails and it, it, it was the most extraordinary experience because we were, you know, it was out of San Clemente Island. It was a training mission. So it it wasn't, you know, it didn't have the same risk factor, but we were blowing things up underwater, which, you know, for a lot of people they would think that was risky, but it was extraordinary. And we were, like you said, we were absolutely connected, totally 100% working off of instinct based upon our training because we were underwater. We couldn't talk to each other. You know, we were, we were like fast twitch, you know, Knowing whether the leader is going left or right. And, and we're all in sync. Cause if we got lost, you know, we were really lost because, you know, it's Whoa. pitch black underwater at night. And we were completely relying on each other. Like uh, these guys, I trust them with my life and they trusted me because I trusted them with my life. And uh, so we each had each other's back. And the only reason that yeah. came together is because of that, what you called shared vulnerability. Like we have, yeah. You know, we sweat together, we bled together, we laughed together, we drank together, and we screwed up together. You know, and then picked each other up and dusted each other off. And we had That's this so cool. I mean, crazy cool intense that. purpose, right? We had the higher purpose, and then we had the smaller purpose. The higher purpose for us was, hey, we're serving our country. This is important work. And then the immediate mission was, let's go blow that, you know blow hey. the thing up.
0: Yeah, cool, right. Huh? Right. All those right. elements exist. It's so cool. And everybody's had, I mean, in that vulnerability piece, I think people miss that. I think everybody gets, okay, we need to be safely connected. That's all we need a purpose. But like, I think in this day and age where people are kind of aware of status and, and oh, oh, in a kind of an uncertain world, it's easy to default to the, to the, Oh, I'm going to appear invulnerable. Mm-hmm. And that was the big shock on spending time with, with Dave Cooper. And, and there is some other guys from the development group and, and from everybody, actually all the groups I visited, mm-hmm. whether it was Pixar, or San Antonio Spurs, Zappos, IDEO, um, you know, the vulnerability, the, the the willingness, especially for leaders to send signals that I don't have all the answers. Mm-hmm. I want to learn, help me learn. Mm-hmm. Um, what, and create what are called, you know, call them in the book, vulnerability loops, because it takes two, it takes two and more mm-hmm. to sort of say, look, no, we could easily, you know, walk away and, and not have this conversation, but the willingness to have these harder conversations, the willingness to, to admit weakness and to call out weakness in others, um, is it's not optional you know, it's not like, uh, it, it is absolutely at the core of sharing good information. If you're going to behave as one organism, as you guys did that night, mm-hmm. you have to be vulnerable. You have to share accurate information with each other or it can't
1: happen. Right. And that needs to be trained. And we say, you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable until it's comfortable mm-hmm. and being yeah. vulnerable is uncomfortable for most people. Cause it's just so alien in our society. You know, we're where that staunch individualists were meant to look perfect. And you know, a lot of people get into trouble and, and they yeah. you know trying to be hold up a perfect image which is flawed and false because nobody's perfect. You can only do that. You can only carry that so far until you, you know, break down, usually psychologically or emotionally. And this, you know, That's I'm sure all these elite teams have different ways to do it. The SEALs Uh, what was the debrief, you know, and in the debrief, it was like brutally honest, but it wasn't personal. Mm -hmm. And it was, everything Mm -hmm. that was said was from a a place of, Hey, we want you to be at your best. We want you to succeed. We want you to be on the team. You know, we need you. And so in order order for you to stay here and grow with us, you know, you've got to cover down on this issue because it's a big gap, right? And it's causing us a risk as a team of failure. You know, and and, and of course yeah. in the seals that that means death. And so yep. you, as an individual on the team who've who've worked hard to be there, go, oh shit, this is serious. You know, I better get yeah. my stuff stuff together. And yeah. but you don't take you don't you're you're left with a feeling of love instead of like demonization. You know what I mean, or like you, you know, people don't care about you. So that's that's unique, isn't it?
0: It's really unique. And it's so powerful. And and, and again, like, you know, we're kind of living through this moment in history where, you know, for a long time, you know, top down authoritative stuff totally worked. Fear works for easy problems and fear works on the short term and fear works for simple things, simple tasks. But we're dealing in a world that is, you know, volatile, (laughs) uncertain and complex, no matter what line of work you're in. Like it's a life is a learning contest and it's a team contest and so being part of te- you know if we're going to be successful we're all going to have to be on part of teams that learn and we're all going to have to learn and so getting out to that learning edge together means vulnerability so it's um it's it's such a powerful tool and the cool thing is that a lot of it it, it you end up with more uh, energy and time to do the task you know if you're not in a situation where where, where people can be vulnerable together, you end up spending a lot of time defending your status, worrying about your status, protecting yeah. your status. You have like a secret second job is what. Is a Harvard <laughs> professor named Robert Kagan. He yeah. goes, if you're in a bad organization, everybody has a secret second job and their secret second job is like holding their spot right. like that. And that's a job. It's not like, it's not like it is, a, it is a job. You have to pay attention. Yeah. And when you're in a, in a, in a solid team, like you were that night, you don't have to put any attention on that you know, that right. it's so liberating. So while well, you do have to spend more time doing these extra things and b- those debriefings feel extra, you know, and a lot of these extra things that good cultures do feel like they're a time drain. Right. It feels like we could be making more progress if we weren't, you know, having this AAR, mm-hmm. this after action review. Um, those actually end up being investments because they create a stronger team.
1: Great. I agree with that hundred percent. That's so cool. And it leads to the creation of the trust bond you know, which means one, each individual is trustworthy. Therefore they're able to project trust and, and develop that trust, you know, and one of the, you know, one of those linkages breaks down and the team literally will come to a screeching halt until it's rebuilt. Yes. That's right.
0: Yeah. It's fragile, you know, and it, it's something that happens. I think that's one thing I didn't appreciate going into writing the culture code. It's like how continually you have to send those signals. Like, it's not like, I mean, we are, we have these brains that are constantly attuned to whether or not we're connected and safe. And, um, you have to send those signals and you have to, uh, the patience and repetition and, and, and sort of the continuing nature of, of leadership is, is that you, you it, it never stops. And so, um, right. you know, whether you're Greg Popovich or whether you're Dave Cooper, uh, you know, have, being, having the patience, the willingness and the strength to kind of say, All right, I'm, I don't feel like it but I'm going to keep setting these signals.
1: Right. Yeah, what you're referring to and I think is the good news here is that in order to perform at an elite level and to build an elite culture essentially what it requires is that we learn how to be our best, right? And that mm-hmm. is a practice, right? And so we turn development development of our our beingness into the best version of ourselves possible into a daily practice. And we bring that to the team. It's not like, Oh, that's who I was at home. And then I'll, now I'm in the team. I'm perfect. No, it's like your organization or your team is the best opportunity or the best place to learn and grow because that's where you're going to get the immediate and direct feedback and, and be held accountable. And also the support. Right? So you're being pushed, prodded, pulled, you know, poked Yes, <laughs> at, right. all, at all levels right. to, to grow, to be better because the team needs you.
0: And you see that up close. Actually, it's funny. We mentioned earlier that I was working with the Indians and they have a intern program, like a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Well, right now, I think eight different general managers of other teams started as Indians interns. No kidding. Um, yeah. And it's because that environment is exactly what you just described. It's a place where they're constantly um, you know, stretched and supported and surrounded by. The windshield is filled with opportunities to to continue to, um, learn in, in community, right. um, you know, to, to actually see what greatest looks like to do stuff and to get great feedback so that you can get better.
1: That's awesome. So what's next for you? Are you, you working on another project now?
0: Well, I'm trying to the, the culture code came out earlier this year. So I've been okay. spending some time kind of, it's always interesting when you write a book because you write a book as you probably know, and, and there's the book you write and then there's the book that people read. <laughs> you know which is always interesting to see what you know I had my own idea of who would respond to this book and 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 what conversations would come out of it mm-hmm. um and so right now it's been kind of fun to sort of see where where that goes you know for example, there are a lot of conversations right now in the in the tech world mm-hmm. um about culture there's a lot of conversations in the sports world about culture there's a lot of conversations in the military world about culture so um it's been it's been fun to uh, to have those conversations and see the book used as a platform to uh, to kind of explore those areas in a way that um, that is fresh and and exciting. Yeah, no, I think
1: it's it's very timely and and relevant, important. You know, we have you know basically stop looking at culture as something that happens as a result mm-hmm. of just being there. You know, that's kind of the old way of looking right. at culture. Like, what's your culture? All right. well, this because we have this dysfunction and. <laughs> Right. Rather, you know, look at culture as a, as a developmental opportunity,
0: you know? Um, Hey, it's, it's, it's a, it's a sport. You can get good at it. You know, it's, it's not, it's not something that just happens by default. Uh, It's something that is, that is created and that that we're, and the exciting piece is that we're kind of wired to, to do it, you know, Um, that those feelings that you get on the SEALs team or something like that, that is not, you know, those are old, (laughs) that's old wiring. Like that's ancient, ancient, uh, tribal human stuff. And so learning that language or maybe relearning it is a better way to say it, you know, relearning that language and realizing that it's not magic, it's signals, it's behaviors. And, and those behaviors, you know, can be, can be learned and, and, and turned into a practice and a habit and a a strength. And let's kind of, we'll wrap up pretty soon
1: here, but what is your day look like? Like how what are your practices so you can maintain your excellence as a you know New York Times bestselling author?
0: Wow. It's funny. We were just talking about that. Um, my wife and I were and I'm, I've been actually trying to get better at doing nothing. Um which mm-hmm. has been my <laughs> challenge for this summer. Yeah. I kind of set myself a challenge. You know, I've been running pretty hard with the new book coming out and I set myself a challenge to see if I could get better at like just kind of being because I, I think when uh, an experience reflection loop, I think I end up being a little long on experience and a little short on reflection at times. Mm So, um, no, I, I guess I, I, I try to kind of have these, I go through phases where, um, there, there's some phases where you're kind of looking, you kind of have your head up and your periscope is up and you're looking for interesting stuff gathering say and there's another phase where you're trying to connect that up and and build Mm -hmm. stuff right now i'm kind of more in the gathering phase in the building phase trying to figure out what the next project is and trying to continue to work with the indians and other organizations to you know kind of put some of the stuff into practice
1: and do you have a morning ritual and like a training you know type plan that you that keeps you healthy and and um, energized and growing
0: Help me out with that mark I've been very scattered and organic with that stuff I'll go through things, can, or oh, I'll bike I'll bike a whole bunch or I'll do this a whole bunch but I need to I need to <laughs> dial into something so I've been a bit kind of kind of letting that go yeah maybe we could get you unbeatable
1: mind and, and we have a very specific you know morning ritual evening routine a way we do our physical training that that kind of helps integrate and and turns things that you you know time that you would normally spend just doing stuff into like really, really powerful training time.
0: No, oh, send me what you got off. I'll, I'll take a peek. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I will do that. I'll follow up. With that awesome. Cool. All right. Well, it's been an honor, Daniel. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, continue the great work. Uh, I'd love to, you know, hook up with you in person or if there's anything that we can do to, to help out or collaborate, then, you know, we'll keep, keep
0: those, uh, those avenues open. Thank you. Really, really fun talking to you. And if people want to dig into any of these ideas, I've got a website, DanielCoyle.com. If, if, uh, if anyone wants to get in touch or hit an email, there's an email link there. They can send me a note. Um, but uh, thanks so much for the conversation and uh, really yeah. appreciate what you're doing.
1: Yeah, likewise. It's a lot of fun.
0: All right, folks. So that was
1: Daniel Coyle. Wow, what an interesting, interesting conversation. He's doing some really cutting edge work. And, you know, it's a lot of stuff that we've talked about, but, you know, he, I really encourage you to check out um, if you're an organizational leader, check out Culture Code, because that's critical to building, you know, a really healthy organization, one that's going to really, uh, you know, kick ass and take names. And the Talent Code, they're really like, um, you know, hand-in-glove type organizations. Talent looks at it from kind of the I perspective and culture from the we perspective. And uh, maybe maybe Dan will write it from the it perspective, like what organizations can do to uh, structurally unlock performance and and uh, remove blockages. And you'll recognize those as the three spheres. So uh, this whole discussion is very near and dear to our heart. All three are important. They co-arise, the I, we, and the it. And we want to excel in each and not let any of the uh, three spheres kind of be the limiting factor. So we've got to be our best. We've got to bring our best to the team. And then the team will make us better. And then if you're an organizational leader, you've got to create systems and structures that get basically the organization out of the way of the culture enough said on all that. Thanks so much for listening. You know, stay focused and do the work every day. It doesn't require, you know, three hours of time. Just, you know, just do the work. Do your morning ritual, do your workout, uh, breathe, move, meditate, visualize, and uh, integrate. And with that, I'm done. See you next time. Divine out. hoo ya.
0: Battle boys, make sure you get home boys They got your back, the pride of the fleets The bright swinging frogmen of the UDT